We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to talk about our newly acquired wings, specifically Trevor Ariza and Carmelo Anthony. And guys, I want to start with Trevor. Now, he is one of my favorite short-term Laker role players of all time. When we do our little zoom call type thing when we record these pods mike has a tradition of putting a, a lakers role player as his name on the tracks on each session that we record and trevor ariza is one of my absolute favorites and i i went back and looked at it. i was like gosh he was only here for a year and a half it seemed like so much longer but he was a uh a staple of that 2009 team came over uh, in a trade as a throw-in. We didn't expect him to be anything, and he really blossomed and developed. Left when we brought in Ron Artest at the time, now Meta, World Peace. But now he comes back to us, Darius, as an older player. And as someone who, in the tape that I've watched, I haven't been that encouraged. And we talked about this in the Bazemore pod that we recorded uh, on yesterday's episode I haven't been terribly encouraged by what I've seen, but he provides us with a bigger wing, somebody who uh, adds a degree of size that Bazemore at 195 pounds does not. So in theoretically, when we talk about does this team have enough defense, I do think Trevor Ariza is an important character in that. And I haven't watched a ton of tape on any of the guys, right? Like not to the degree where I feel like I speak with a great deal of authority. But from what I've seen, I'm I'm a little concerned about what he can bring to the table at this point. But he is somebody that I do think is important in how this season goes. Ariza is an interesting guy to me because he's had a very interesting last 18 months as a player, right? And the entire league has had a very interesting 18 months, right? And Ariza's experience, I think, sort of exemplifies the ups and downs of how tricky the league has been to evaluate over that period. Ariza did not go to the bubble, I believe he was on Portland at that time, and he had actually been playing well for the Blazers 
before that point. But Ariza, I I think it was family stuff. Like he was going to stay home with his kids and, and he just did not go to to the bubble. And then he did not return to Portland and he signed with the Heat the following year. This was this this past season. Well, he was in OKC, right? He was traded to Oklahoma City and he did not play for the first part of that year. And then, yeah, he ended up like midseason ended up with with Miami. So that makes this situation even crazier to exactly. me, right? Yeah. Because yeah. he was sort of um, a layover then in, in OKC and did the whole like, hey, we'll get something for you when it's time to get something for you sort, sort of deal that Sam Presti has been making a habit of the last couple of seasons. And so he... Didn't play in the bubble, then didn't play the first part of the season, and then went to Miami and basically got inserted into the starting lineup as the Jay Crowder replacement. And Trevor's not really a four at this point. Like, he is more of a combo wing to me. Like, but he is, he's obviously not the lean, athletic guy that he was when he was with the Lakers. That's something that's super interesting about this team is that we've got a lot of guys who are older athletes, right? Guys who in their primes were flying out. You know, one of my favorite Laker memories of Ariza was him dunking on Grant Hill in a Sunday game against the Phoenix Suns. He was a a remarkable athlete. And I have some theories I'll, I'll share later about older athletes. But yeah, he's one of those guys that was in his prime, one of the best, you know, floor running wings in the NBA and could fly. But at that older age, you know, there's kind of that elevator. One's going up of experience and knowledge and know-how while the elevator of athleticism is is dropping. Yeah, and, and so, Mike, it's it's interesting to me because I don't think he's actually played a lot of basketball over the last 18 months. Now, he's had some high-level roles where the asks of him have been fairly high, and I'm not sure if he's met the moment when it came to those those asks. And I think that that might be one of the reasons why I sort of share Pete's assessment of Ariza. Like, he got thrown out there against the Bucks in the first round, and the Bucks they had revenge on their mind. And Ariza was just a speed bump in the way of all of those guys, Giannis and Middleton, and those dudes just took it to the heat and maybe Ariza is falling victim to that a little bit I know Pete watches more film than hey let's watch round one of the playoffs but I wasn't particularly impressed with what I saw from Ariza last year either and he seems like oh has has the cliff come for him and I'm not willing to say that it has at this point but I think the Lakers are banking on from my perspective, that the last 18 months have sort of been like, hey, you really haven't been able to get your feet underneath you in in any real, real way. And this is your opportunity now with a full off season, a set start date that isn't a quick turnaround and not a you're on one team, but you're in limbo. And now you're coming back and oh, there's a bubble. It, like, I feel like Ariza's circumstances need to be taken in in to account a little bit, but maybe that's me being a bit generous. Like, where are you at with him, Mike? I'll just start with my soft spot for him, too, because his first year out here, uh, well, really his second year 
um, out here was my first year with the Lakers. So he had had the previous season. He, of course, uh, isn't able to play in the postseason just like Bynum. And that has you know something to do with the Lakers not winning and me coming in thinking, well, the Lakers, yeah, I get it. They lost the they lost the last game by a lot, but they're getting Bynum back. They're getting Ariza back. And these guys are going to be incredibly hungry. And I think that they're the title favorites. And so you go through that year and he his role increases to the point where in the playoffs, he becomes what we all really remember now when we think back about that Laker run with Ariza. And he's also he's only three or four years younger than me. And so like there's there's part of that connection too, like kind of same generation. And if you just look at his basketball reference page and and the sheer length of it, like starting in 0405, now we're in 2021. He's been on almost every team, it seems like. I mean, not every team, but you know, just just to go, just for fun. Knicks, Magic, Lakers, Rockets, Hornets, Wizards, Rockets. Suns, Wizards, Kings, Blazers, Heat. You know, it's <laughs> and he's here. He is. He's still playing. So I thought you guys just summarized pretty well what we saw from him last season. And as to what he's able to give the Lakers for this year, I think that it's. I talked about this in in the one of the previous pods about where we have to be careful expecting him to show that those same types of flashes. And, and I, get, I get that it was a long time ago, but still that is what's most fresh that, that we just put it up on Laker social, like the dunk on Grand Hill, right? Like that's what we're still thinking of and that Ariza has got that, but he was a, a mid second round pick. And that was kind of my point in looking at his whole career. So here he is all these years later, super uncommon for any player to be able to stick around the league this long and have teams that want to put them on the roster, especially for a guy that isn't a top 10 pick. So that shows you right there that Ariza's he's just a fighter. Uh, he is a warrior. He's going to battle. Like, that's that's how you stay that long. You have to have this kind of hunger. And he had it in his press conference. Like, he wasn't trying to reflect and celebrate on the last time he was with the Lakers and get a ring. He's like, he's like that's great. That's great. I asked him the question. But no, like I'm not going there. I, I'm thinking about what I can do this year. So there is – I think there's – enough left if he's hitting some threes and he's he's getting in the right matchup but you can't I just don't think we can depend on him in the way because how can you in his age 36 season when he's been in the league this long and the athleticism has waned some so I just want to try to manage everybody's expectations a little bit how Pete started this off with I think both of you make fantastic points. I want to start with with Darius's about not having his feet underneath him. I think that's something that we don't account for enough. And we think we can often think of these guys going into new situations as like a 2K game where you just plug and play and you go from there. I think that that not having your feet under you even and maybe even especially as a veteran who's an older player at this point is particularly harmful to a player because those when those guys succeed – and if Trevor Reza succeeds, and this is an argument for why maybe it will be better in Los Angeles. And I don't want to act like he was horrible with, with Miami or anything. I actually randomly saw him one day. I was watching Dallas versus Miami on League Pass, and he had like a 16-point first quarter yesterday. So there's something there, right? You can't do that in the NBA and not have something in the tank. And so my hope is that he is a 16-game player at the very least with some flashes here and there during the regular season and getting in getting his feet underneath him. But I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. But also your point, Mike, about that type of player sticks around in the NBA for a reason. There is – you could find a, a, 
a dozen other guys that could play his role that could fill that spot. So why him? It is decision-making. He's a pro. He's a fighter, like you said, Mike, that that competes. My concern is more, and that's part of the reason why when I watch tape, I don't see a player who doesn't know what he's doing. I don't see a player who's not competing. There's just a certain point where physically, and that's one thing that I've noticed with older athletes is that the little small technical mistakes that they make in terms of technique when they're younger, you can get to a corner shooter, even if you're in an upright stance and you're, you've got one foot in the paint and you're standing up straight. You're not anticipating that pass to the corner, but you can still get there as a 23 year old Trevor Ariza because you're a great athlete with a seven, two wingspan and you can still get to that corner shooter and really bother it. If you're not anticipating and you're not in a good defensive stance, as you get older, that closeout becomes shorter and shorter. You're bothering that shot less and less. That said, Ariza really knows what he's doing on the court in that he's going to be a big help on the defensive boards. He's going to know how to drop down in, in a, in terms of like a practical, what situations will he work in? Cause I think that's essentially his role is in the playoffs is going to be a, we need against a bigger wing. We need a guy who can defend on the ball and he'll play in those situations. And I don't think he'll play a ton in other situations, at least come, come playoff time. Although we'll see, but I think that in the context areas of our overall ability to switch, I think that, that Ariza is somebody that can be very helpful. Yeah, I just I would just jump in quick and add that part of what you're talking about with that athleticism and how it can wane at a certain point, that's when you go from being a 30 minute a night, you're going to you're going to get the same thing into getting, you know, maybe every other game. And that's what we saw with Ariza last year in the in, at the end of the season in the playoffs, like one game, he's going to go three for seven from three and he's going to play some pretty good defense. Another night, he's going to go oh for four. And he's not going to, you know, he's not, he's going to get beat in certain situations going to the rim. So that's, that's what it is. I think at this point of his career, you, you just can't expect every night that you're going to get what you get in an athlete's prime at that stage of a career, unless it's an absolute all time freak like LeBron. And then you can't expect that. So that, that to me would be the key difference. Pete, when you said earlier, why him? Right. Like there's maybe a half a dozen other guys in the league, in theory, that you could plug in to try to find to fill this specific role. And why him? And I think Rob Palinka, I think, values a couple of different things when he's looking at roster construction and when he's looking at who to try to get. A is talent, just pure talent plays. Right. And We've seen him, right? He, he traded for Anthony Davis, basically. He chased after Dennis Schroeder and Montrez Harrell, right? And so that's one off, se- one off season is Anthony Davis. The next off season, it's, it's Trez and Schroeder. The next off season, he's trading again for Russell Westbrook. Like these are all talent grabs. And you, even last season, again, it what we talked about this a pod ago, but Andre Drummond, like that's a talent grab. If we feel like the cost is right, we're going to go get that guy. That, uh, that's Rob Palinka, like in in his head. I think the other thing that he values and there is, is that is what agents do too, right? If you think about it, y- yes, yeah, yeah. yes, great point, yes. And and so I think the other thing that he values is high level role player experience. 
right? Like, have mm. you been in the moments that matter? Yeah. Do you yeah. have experience in those moments? Because if you do, we value that here because we're competing for something. And yeah. if you don't have the chops in that, then we'll go somewhere else and we'll try to get that dude instead, right? And I think if you look at every Lakers acquisition under Rob Palinka as as like the main decision maker, I would bet 90 to 95% of them fall in one of those categories, right? Yeah. And Ariza fits the latter. He is a former champion, right? With, well, with the Lakers. And he's played in high stakes playoff games, not just with the Lakers, but he played in them with, well, with the Rockets and everywhere that he's gone. And this speaks to why he's stuck in the league for as long as he has to Mike's point earlier. It's because he has shown that he can perform at that level when the stakes are the highest, this dude is reliable, right? He's not mm-hmm. a star. He's not going to be the guy that you say, go get me a basket. But he's a guy that is just like, when when it's win or go home, you trust this guy to be on the court or you have over the course of his career. Now, I spoke earlier about the idea of the cliff and has the cliff come, right? And we'll see. And we'll also see what the asks are of Ariza this year. Unless something weird happens, I don't think he's going to be asked to start. And I don't think he's even going to be asked to be a 25-minute-per-night player. He'll probably be a two-shift player, probably, right? And those as asks get smaller, the load you carry also gets smaller and your ability to then focus and put the right amount of energy into that smaller ask can lift up your performance in a way that meets a level that's probably higher than what you would be able to perform if you were, if that ask was heavier. And that's what I think the Lakers are banking on with Ariza. And we'll see if that's a smart gamble or not. That's a great way of framing it. And before we shift to Mello, he reminds me a little bit, Ariza does, of Robert Ori's career arc in that as Ori got older, Ori was always a guy during the regular season that would drive me crazy. And then when come playoff time, we all know Big Shot Bob, right? But as Ori got older, the capability, the physical capability started to, to wane, even if the know-how and experience and not being afraid of the moment, all the things that you said about Ariza applied to him too. But at some point, the mind is willing, but the body is not capable. And that's my concern about Ariza at this point. But I do think that there are situations where he will add value uh, come playoff time. And it's just about finding the right situations in, in right time. So anyway, let's take a break. We'll come back, uh, go to the, the other wing, bigger wing that we acquired in the one and only Carmelo Anthony. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Melo being a Laker is wild to me. He's one of those those titans one of the big whatever you have felt about him throughout his career him being a los angeles laker is like wow when we look at him and dwight and westbrook and lebron and ad none of these guys grew up as lakers but they are some of the most significant figures in the nba over the last 20 years and Melo is one of the dominant triple threat scorers of of his era surefire first ballot hall of famer who's had quite the career arc over the last couple of years where he found himself out of the league for a little while and then found himself uh, he found a home in Portland and a a role there and now he ends up coming to the Lakers to presumably try to win a title which I don't think he had the expectation of in Portland so Mike with Melo coming in how do you view his role in this upcoming season man um, Carmelo to me still plays like Carmelo he so he doesn't He's made somewhat of a shift, right? So when he went to Portland, it did seem like that certainly fit better than the previous couple of spots where it just there was there was something that was a little bit off with whatever it was, whether it was his understanding of what his role was going to be or the organization's understanding. And once he got the port, and I'm I'm of course speaking mostly about Houston and then OKC um, to an extent as well. But once he gets to Portland, it somehow fits like they want him to come off the bench. And to just go get buckets and, to, you know, take threes, get some of his mid-range shots up. And he and he's still able to do that at a somewhat effective clip. But the efficiency has dropped off. And even with that said, he's never been the most efficient scorer. He's never been the most efficient player for his career. Right. He's 44.7%. The last couple of years, so 42%, 43%. But the volume of three-pointers has gone up to make some of that more worth it. And there are some similar numbers to Kobe's career, um, at least just in terms of field goal percentage, three-pointers taken, and tough shots taken uh, that make those go lower than some of the players that don't sort of shoot from the perimeter in the spots where those are the shots that you do have to hit late in games, especially in playoff games, That, but it's going to make your percentage look lower. And so I've always felt like his value has been a little bit higher maybe than some of the efficiency hawks are going after him for. But at this stage of his career, and he's 36, he was 36 last season, so he's going into his age 37 year, um, same year, of course, as LeBron, except that he went to one year of college at Syracuse and won the national title. And so my my major question with Melo, if he's going to be expected to kind of be that backup for and he's coming in with the second unit. Well, does that second unit have AD on it? Does it have Russ on it? And are some of like Portland didn't have another guy. They didn't have a second star in that second unit that was going to go and in, in where the ball sh- sort of quote unquote should run through. And my initial concern is that Melo comes in and is 
you know, trying to play like mellow and, you know, backing down in the mid range and doing the baseline turnaround and, and ADs just sort of standing. Um, and, and that's the thing where I'm like, I, 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 I'm curious to see how this squares, like can mellow just be a spacer um, at the four spot and it banks some threes and occasionally gets you out of a late clock situation. But it's kind of what Darius was saying about Westbrook a little bit. Like I don't, we haven't really seen that yet. And, and that's my, that's the, the first spot that I go to guys. It's just what, what is he mentally thinking? How is he going to support what the construct of with the, with the second unit, if that's where he's playing with uh, either LeBron or AD and then Russ to a different extent. For Melo to me, it's always going to be about scale. What scale are you asking him to perform at? Melo gets on the basketball court and Melo's going to cook. You don't bring in Melo and say you're going to be like, like if it's a restaurant, if it's a restaurant, Melo's (laughs) Melo's in the back of the house and he's cooking. You don't bring Melo in to be the front of the house guy who's like, can I take your order? Like, no, that's someone else. Don't bring me in for that. Melo's going to cook. The question is, is he going to be your maid chef? The guy who you're asking to do everything? Or is he going to be a sous chef or a line cook? Someone who is down who is someone who is like taking care of the fourth or fifth burner, right? And not the guy who is right on the front front line. And I envision Mello personally as being a guy who comes in at the start of the second quarter with Dwight Howard and with mm-hmm. LeBron James mm-hmm. and with Kendrick Nunn. And you're looking at that unit and maybe saying, okay, Braun, you're handling the ball, right? You're running pick and rolls with Dwight. Or nuns running some pick and rolls with with Dwight Mello's weak side corner and when you're looking at that sore sort of lineup Braun's getting the toughest defensive assignment Dwight's getting a big burly dude to guard him or maybe they try to go small and like but Dwight's going to collapse the paint a little bit and Mello is probably going to get the third or fourth best wing defensive player Right, we're like the third or fourth best defensive player is likely going to be on Mello, and that's when you can say, "Hey, you know what? Take over for me for a second and cook, cook a little bit more right now because we've put you in a better position to succeed here." Your point earlier, Mike, about like not having that secondary star—it's not just about. Okay, well, you're you have a second star because I think that CJ McCollum is probably a guy that you could you could say, like, run the offense for us. We're going to feature you. And he's a good enough offensive fulcrum to to be a pillar of a second unit offense. The issue that I think Mello's issue with Portland to me and where his efficiency dips some is that there wasn't anything other than that that was reliable for them. And the the interesting thing about the Lakers is that they not only have LeBron, who is an offense unto himself, but they have Russ, who is also in his own way an offense unto himself. And then they have Anthony Davis, who... If not, he's not at that level because he's not the same sort of shot creator as as those guys. But he is a pillar of an effective offense where you can do a lot of stuff with with AD. And so I feel like to go back to slotting, Melo is almost always going to be slotted appropriately because he's very likely to be on the court with at least one 
of LeBron and Russ. And those guys are offensive culture setters. They are the guys who can occupy defenses in a way that make them pay attention. And while you can tell Melo, go get me a bucket, and I think the Lakers will do that some, I think he's very likely to be put in a position where it's almost his three-point rate is probably going to be over 50% this season in terms of over half of his shots, I feel like, are going to be threes. And last year it was at about 40% for Portland, and I just see that ratcheting up, and that's probably his best role for this team. I love his offensive fit with this team. I have questions on the defensive end, of course, but both in the regular season and come playoff time, I... Mello, while you're right, I, I do believe that the majority of his shots will be threes. He's also a guy, especially that second unit that you described, I'm right on the same page with you. I, I, I envision that lineup as well. And so for a second unit to have to deal with LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony, Mello's probably going to get the lesser defender of the two, as you pointed out. Mello is still a very effective triple threat player. He's still somebody that you can throw the ball to. And let's talk playoffs. Let's not talk regular season here. But when you need to get those tough buckets... I feel, and this is to your point, Mike, that his offense is more translatable, the ability to hit those those shots. And if you're up against the second unit's second best wing defender, that's still Carmelo Anthony, man. That dude can can cook still the way that, that he does. And he, he essentially, to me, is filling the Markeith Morris role where it's that backup four spot that provides offense, but you've got a little bit of strength, a little bit of get the F out of here on a defensive board. And just, he's a better version of Keefe in that respect. And I think that his offense, he's going to be an important offensive player for us because Mike, there are other guys I've mentioned, Nunn and Bazemore and a certain degree of skepticism of their offense and their jump shot in particular translating. And maybe I'm just scarred by the, this last season or where we couldn't hit crap in the playoffs. I, there aren't going to be many games where Carmelo Anthony cannot make an open shot. And I think that the ability to make an open shot is going to be something that's really uh, essential on this team. So Offensively, I'm. I think that slotting him appropriately, having him in that second unit against the second best wing defender type of guy. I think you still get a. I think you'll see one of the more efficient seasons, even though it's later in his career. I think you'll see his true shooting percentage be perhaps higher than ever. Well, that's the hope. That the hope is that. But you could. You kind of are putting him in, or I'm putting him and Russ in somewhat of that same category. And it's just that guys that have been this productive and doing things the way that they've done them over the years, they they are the ones that need to and have to adjust to LeBron and AD. And I know that's a, a too simple of, a, of an approach. And yes, you do want them still to be aggressive. And I know that Frank Vogel is going to say that. We want Melo to be Melo, right? They're, I just, I, I do, I'm not typically a too many mouths to feed type person. I think that players and teams usually figure it out. I thought all that stuff was silly with Brooklyn last year. Like that's it's going to be fine for the most part. It's just that the the amount of touches that are there, and even when we're talking about the second unit, that's where there's some level of concern for me. But I will acknowledge that the shooting that he has, and and this is I do think that Marquise Morris is a good is a good substitute in this case, or I guess Melo would be a good substitute for it. There is more confidence if he's just out there spacing and the ball gets in his hands. And I do think that that's going to help. So that that I think is the uh, represents the upside um, of what he can do in that kind of a spot. 
Uh, so a question for you, Mike, along the lines of the touches, too many cooks in the kitchen type of idea. Do you put any stock in the Olympic mellow, right? The guy who is on a team with a bunch of other talented guys, actually very good in that type of environment. Well, so this is, yeah, that's the, that's the hope. And that's the same thing for Russ. Olympic Russ was incredible as the guy, he came off the bench and he just, he just wreaked havoc athletically on all of these poor international teams. And so Mello and Russ embracing that and sort of being attack dogs in that sense uh, to, su to supplement what LeBron and AD do is great. But I think Darius has made this point a few times though, is that we just, we need to see that, that they're willing to do that and, and not, it's not even a willingness. It's just like, it's really hard. I think to, to translate that mindset with the Olympics, when you know that every player on your team is a star to when they're out there and Mello is going to look around the court with a second unit and so let's say if AD and Russ are out there, then maybe that helps. And then maybe you do get some more Olympic mellow. But if it's if it's more lineups where it's it's none or it's Monk or it's, you know, it's 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 THT. And then maybe even it's Dwight. If there are times where either AD or LeBron are in that unit or they're resting or whatever, then is that the point where, you know, where the kind of traditional mellow comes back out? And that's not necessarily even a bad thing. I'm just I just want to see it before I completely think, oh yeah, he's just going to come in and only play the only play the way that's going to be optimized for this team. Cause he, he has been pretty successful in his career playing like Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, spoiler alert. I haven't seen this movie yet, but Melo's not going to change. I mean, come on, man. He's Carmelo Anthony, right? Like I said, it's just a matter of scale and how many opportunities, how many opportunities he actually gets. Right. Melo has scored a ton of points in this league. He is a professional scorer. He is going to get you baskets. Right. And so I'm less concerned as to how even efficient he's going to be. Right. Just because there are going to be nights where Melo's going to be two, two for nine. And guess what? Vogel's going to have other options and he's going to go away from him. I That's think right. the bigger question to me is is all right well on the days where he's where where he's actually four for seven or he's or he's five for nine right and he's hit three straight threes but he's maybe getting cooked on the other end that's my big question yeah right? like what does he do it's, on defense right exactly and so finding like optimizing a guy's role doesn't mean just all right well Melo likes the ball in the low post or put camp on weak side corner and you've got Braun who can throw that skip and you, you know, oh, well, Braun in the post, Dwight, Dwight in the dunker spot. Oh, look, Dwight setting that great seal screen backside and there's Melo. Like, look, all of that stuff is going to work itself out. Melo's not going to run five pick and rolls a game. This isn't New York Knicks Melo. This is a guy who has taken on the idea that he's a bench player now. He's going to be asked to score on a lesser volume, but when the opportunities are there, you're asking him to do what he does, which is get you baskets. On the other side of the floor, he's a guy who needs to be protected. He's a guy who needs to be hid, and he's a guy who other teams are going to seek out and say, oh, no, 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 no. You're hurting us on the other end. We're going to make you unplayable. 
right? Because you have to play on the other end of the court too. And in the same way that you had concerns about a reason, the first half of the pod, people about like, hey, where's, can he play still at this level? And I think Ariza is being looked at as someone who can defend. We know Melo isn't going to be a good defensive player. And so how do you hide him? How do you protect him? How do you put him in lineups where the asks are so small that he can go out there and be successful still and be a positive contributor on both sides of the floor? Because if that just means, hey, Braun, you have to run the offense, but you also have to guard the other team's best forward. Right. Because Carmelo can't guard that dude. Right. And if he's in the game with THT and none, neither of those dudes are going to guard that guy either. Right. Yeah. Other other second units are going to have an anchor player as well. And typically that's going to be a wing or a perimeter dude. And so what are the asks of him and can he carry whatever load it is and this is where you have to feel for Vogel a little bit like he's been handed a bunch of offensive talent but the defensive talent is well below the standard that he's had on both of his rosters the past two seasons that he's coached the Lakers and he's going to have to compensate some and there's no hiding it with Melo he is not a good defensive player at this stage of his career and the protection needs to be there and so the protection, the basic protection that I think of as you're talking about that is, all right, well, you got Dwight Howard, you got Anthony Davis. So he's got to play with one of those two guys as the, and if the other team with a lot of second units go small and in certain cases you can bludgeon those units and that's where we'll get, I don't want to do the whole starting lineup thing again and Mark and, but if Dwight is, if that's where he's playing the most, then that's fine. And in other spots, maybe even closing lineups, this is where, let's say Melo is shooting the ball well, and you have LeBron at the three, and you have AD at the five, then you can get away with having a guy like Melo, who's basically an all-offense player there, and, and like Darius said, then you hide him. Because in other spots of the game, LeBron is going to be the one. In the first half, you're not wanting LeBron to have to do a ton on defense with the, with the better player, but you want him to be able to help from the weak side. Later in the games, you can ask LeBron to do that, and that's when you can hide Melo some. So, yeah, I, I just Pete, is it? I know it's not that simple, but I'm just thinking. Well, this is this is at least like Portland doesn't have a real rim protector the last couple of years, and you know, like Nurkic isn't quite like he can block a couple of shots, but he's not really an elite rim protector. They didn't have anybody in their second unit doing it, and at least the Lakers have that to kind of compensate, whether it's for Melo or whether it's for one of their their guards now that aren't going to be as good defensively as the guards were the last two years. hundred percent. And that's where my concern lies because Portland did not have that rim protector, but they didn't have the perimeter defenders either. I'm not worried about our, our rim protection. I think that between AD Dwight and even LeBron rotating over, especially in these high leverage situations, we should be fine in terms of rim protection. My biggest concern is a foot speed issue of, are we going to be able to close out to shooters when the ball is swinging and rotating is a Trevor Ariza is a Carmelo Anthony. uh, A lot of our older players going to be able to get out to that guy. I have a great deal of skepticism that that's the case. That said, we've got a ton of offensive talent and is rim protection enough? Will we be able to scheme and do enough on the perimeter defensively to defend well enough there to get through you know, a high-end playoff series? We shall see. But uh, I, that is, in looking at Melo and Ariza, my, I, I think you have two guys that are battle-tested, that have been through all of the wars, that 
will not be shaken by the moment and can still contribute. I just have concerns about, I see a common thread when we go through so many of our guys that there's a foot speed issue on the roster. And so we will see how that plays out. Anyhow, tomorrow we'll be back with an episode. We brought some shooting in, right? When, when we talk about this improved offense, we brought some shooting in. We're going to talk about Malik Monk and Wayne Ellington on the next episode of the Laker Film Room Podcast. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! with a little tap to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.